Thanks for joining us for this podcast from the Arctic Institute. I'm Tom Fries. In this interview, I'm speaking with Ruth Davis, Senior Policy Advisor to Greenpeace International. Ruth trained as a botanist and has worked for nature conservation and environmental NGOs in the UK since 1997, managing biodiversity conservation, water protection, and climate change programs. She joined Greenpeace UK in 2010. Ruth has extensive experience as an advisor on international environmental policy-making processes, including the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and EU environmental legislation. I posed a couple of important questions to Ruth about Greenpeace's Save the Arctic campaign. First, why does Greenpeace feel that non-Arctic people should have a significant say in what happens in the Arctic? And second, if subsurface development in the Arctic is to be stopped, what alternative industries does Greenpeace think might help northern communities flourish? I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Uh, speaking of, you know, people and the human interest, um, why do you think people who live nowhere near the Arctic and, you know, who've never been there, who may have little appreciation of the subtleties of uh, politics, society, and, you know, uh, ecosystems in the Arctic should have any kind of voice in the decisions that are made there? What, what qualifies those people to speak on these issues? It's a, it's a very, very important question, and I think it, it, it goes really straight to the heart of what Greenpeace is as an organization, actually. We think that there is such a thing as a global common good. We believe that there is such a thing as a common natural inheritance in the world, and that that's the reason why we've campaigned for many years alongside people in Brazil for the protection of the Brazilian Amazon. It's why we campaign for the protection of Indonesia's remaining rainforests. We believe there's a legitimate moral interest in if, uh, amongst all of us in protecting the natural environment and also in looking after the world that we're then going to leave to all of our children. But there is also, I think, an increasing interconnectedness, which means that there's a much more sort of prosaic reason why people across the world might be interested in what's going on in the Arctic and vice versa. If you remember, I, I, I was saying, you know, one of the critical things about the situation in the Arctic is that actually what's happening to the Arctic environment cannot simply be determined by Arctic countries. It has to be determined by the world deciding that they're going to take rational decisions about climate change. And actually, an irony of the current situation is that uh, some of those states that are currently suggesting that it is inappropriate for anybody other than the Arctic states to be involved in decisions about the future of the Arctic are also those states that have spent many of the last few years actively blocking progress on climate change. So I find it difficult to think that actually um, uh, countries like the United States and Canada who have clearly um, invested a lot of political capital in preventing us getting from the right solutions at a global level on climate change are then arguing that the rest of the world has no interest in uh, how we manage processes in the Arctic. It doesn't seem to me that the Arctic has been particularly safe in their hands. But, you know, beyond that, there's also kind of the, 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 the simple kind of issue that actually once climate change is affecting the Arctic and affecting the Arctic weather system, the Arctic weather system in turn clearly affects what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, there was a very passionate speech given by the climate change ambassador of the Seychelles uh, where he said that when the poles melt, we drown. 
Um, and what he was saying was that the effects of climate change on the Arctic then have knock-on consequences for people across the whole of the world. And that means that we are interconnected in a way which means that we increasingly have to have a global view about how we deal with environmental challenges. And then, you know, again, at a more kind of prosaic level, if, as has been estimated, you know, between 20 and 30 percent of the world's remaining hydrocarbon resources, maybe up to a third, are actually in the Arctic region, if we are to dig up, burn, exploit all of those remaining hydrocarbon resources, that in turn has massive implications for the global climate. And it's an issue in which I think everyone, every citizen of the world has a legitimate right to, to, to um, uh, have a concern. Um, and you know, similarly, if you just look at around fish stocks, I mean, as the the, the water warms and uh, fish stocks move north, we uh, are facing a situation in which actually significant parts of the northern hemisphere's fish resources will will potentially be in the Arctic region. It isn't reasonable to treat that simply as if that is a resource that then belongs to those states and can be managed entirely to the exclusion of anyone else's interest. Um, Shipping routes, I, I probably don't have to say much more about. I mean, the the moment we're in a position where trade routes uh, in and around the Arctic become um, hugely more globally significant than they are now, the uh, uh, strategic, economic and military importance of those areas makes them an area of interest for the rest of the world. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'd be the last to try to um, deny that people who live in a land and have a relationship with a land feel passionately about it and have an understanding of it that is different and, and subtler and uh, more intimate than, than anyone else can ever have. But at the same time, this is a, an increasingly interconnected world uh, with a growing global population and we have to manage environmental challenges like the ones we have in the Arctic, as if we are a common humanity, not a series of regional powers. Uh, I'm, I am no expert on indigenous people in the Arctic, for sure. Uh, but it would seem that a fair number of Aboriginal communities um, are fairly excited to get employment opportunities and roads and other critical infrastructure that comes along with development projects. Um, do you have a better alternative to offer them? So I, I think I'm just beginning to understand some of these issues my, myself and, um, you know, it's it's not Greenpeace's job to speak for in, Indigenous peoples in the Arctic, of whom there are many and, and as I understand it, who have many and different perspectives. Um, we're in dialogue with a, a, a range of different um, Indigenous peoples groups, some of whom I think are quite passionately opposed to uh, particular forms of industrial development like oil drilling because they have seen what it does to their local uh, living and livelihood. Um, others are more uh, supportive of that, um, no doubt hoping uh, to, to uh, achieve a, a level of uh, uh, independence and economic independence that they, that they haven't had previously. Um, I think we have to sort of see this in the in the in the context of the question you asked me previously about are we opposed to all forms of development in the Arctic? No, clearly we're not. We're opposed to those forms of development which we think will put at risk the local environment and actually the local livelihoods of people living in in those areas. Um, but there are other forms of development, for example, developing sustainable fisheries, for example, looking at whether there are natural resources that could be exploited in a way that uh, uh, supported the renewable energy revenue evolution that we need to see going on around the world, for example, um, that, you know, do offer alternative opportunities and, and offer 
an opportunity to develop in a way that doesn't actually put at risk the very environment upon which uh, millions of people in the Arctic depend. Um, so yes, there are other there are other alternatives. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a complex issue, and it's one where I think it, it, we have a responsibility to uh, maintain and deepen a continuing dialogue with Indigenous peoples uh, across the whole of the Arctic region. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, and uh, you know certainly on my own behalf and on for you know for all of us at the Arctic Institute, it's really a pleasure to have this opportunity. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you.